welcome back to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. After a week off, today we start a new series in the book of James called The Matters of Real Christianity. As we start off this series, we are going to look at the first four verses in the book and how trials are a matter of growth in our lives. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to James and follow along with Pastor Roy. Great to be in God's house this morning uh, with his people singing his praises. Today we are starting a new series uh, to the book of James. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1, while you're turning there, you can see the theme that I'm calling this series is the matters of real Christianity. And today we're going to be focusing on, on trials, a matter of growth. Now some of you have heard my story and I'm not going to launch into the whole thing, But just a a quick uh, picture of my life is I had no desire to go to college right out of high school. In fact, I say on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a negative 2. God totally changed that, obviously, and some of you know that whole story, and we'll share that at another time. But all I have to say, when I graduated from high school, I got a job in a bakery. And in that bakery, I ran a bread molder. I was a bread molder operator. And when I operated that bread molder... Uh, I would take the pans after the dough would fall into the the bread pans and I would stick them on a rack. And those racks were on a rail and that uh, rack would go into what they called a proof box. The proof box was nothing more than a hot box. It was a heated box that was designed that when that dough went in there and it hit the atmosphere of that heat, the yeast would be activated and it would rise much quicker and would cause it to rise and then they would pull it out when it was fully rised and they would stick it in the oven and on through the process. But the point was that proof box was an important point for activating the yeast. I share that with you because when we get into the book of James, James is in essence telling us that trials are the very thing that God uses to activate our faith. The heat of the moment, the heat of a trial is used to activate our faith. And when our faith is activated because of the trial, we grow spiritually. And so that's why God allows us to go through trials because it is through those trials that we become spiritually mature. And so I want to start off just sharing a little bit about uh, who wrote uh, this book of James. Well, you guessed it. James. (laughs) But he was the half-brother of Jesus because there are some other Jameses, and we're not going to get into all those. But this James, the half-brother of Jesus, was a deeply spiritual man. He was a spiritually mature man. And the reason we know that, because if we go back into the book of Acts chapter 15, there was some conflict going on in the early church. And the elders and leaders of the church got together to discuss the conflict, whether or not Gentiles could become a part of the church. It was called the Jerusalem Council. And what they decided was, of course, the Gentiles were allowed into the church. But one of the key personalities who helped decide that was James. So if you want to write down Acts 15, go back and read it, because James takes them back to the Scripture. And by taking them back to the scripture, he settles the conflict and he brings about a peace among all the groups that were in this faction. So he was a deeply spiritual man. He was also a man of prayer. 
We see that he writes about prayer, but not only did he write about prayer, he was a man who deeply practiced prayer as well. Because tradition tells us that he would spend so much time on his knees that his knees were as hard as a camel. He spent so much time in prayer. And so he's a deeply spiritual man. Some other things about James is he was a gifted Galilean. He was fluent in both Aramaic and Greek. So he was an educated man. He was also educated in the law of Moses. And so he is addressing um, these Jewish Christians in his writing. We have no record uh, in the Bible of James's death, but we do know from the first century historian Flavius Josephus wrote about James and his death. And he says that the Pharisees hated James so much because of his testimony for Christ that they threw him down from the temple, at the top of the temple, and they beat him to death with clubs. That's how hated he was for his testimony. And it is said that he died the way our, our Savior did by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So when we write about this, and when James is writing about trials, he understood trials. And that's what we need to understand as well. The other thing that you will notice is there are some uh, people who will say James and Paul disagreed in their writings. Because uh, Paul talked about being justified by faith in Christ. And James talks about, it, it appears on the cover, of being justified by works. But he's not saying that. Paul was focusing on inter, inner saving faith. That we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Inner saving faith. James has a totally different focus. He's saying if we have inner saving faith, then we will have outward serving faith. You see, if you are truly saved, you will serve. That's what James is saying. The reality of your inner faith, saving faith, is that outwardly you serve the Lord. That's the reality of your faith. That's why we are calling it real Christianity. Because real Christianity doesn't just say it. It lives it. And that's what James is challenging us to do. So who was James writing to? He was writing to the dispersion who were the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. These were Jewish Christians that were scattered throughout the nations. They were living outside the land of Israel with Gentiles. And therefore, that caused them to have a lot of trials. Just living outside of their own land. Uh, caused them to have trials. They were, uh, being Jews, they were rejected by the Gentiles. And being Christian Jews, they were rejected by their own countrymen. Many of the believers were poor, and they were oppressed by the rich. And so because of that, they had serious challenges in their life. They also had problems within their church fellowship. There were, because they faced trials... They also faced temptation to sin. There was favoritism toward the rich, and the rich were exploiting their fellow believers. There was competition between believers for positions in the church. There was problems with people controlling their tongue. And because they didn't control their tongue, there was conflict in the church. And there was separation in the church. 
and division. And because of that, too, there was worldliness in the church. They were caving into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But it all boils down, all those problems in the fellowship boil down to one problem. And that's what James is addressing. Not just genuine faith, but spiritual maturity. They were spiritually immature. And James is writing this letter to them to say, here's some issues you need to address if you have genuine faith to be a spiritually mature Christian. This is what you need to have in your life. You see, it's inevitable that we grow old. It's optional whether we grow up. It's optional. We have to make a decision. We have to make a choice to grow up in our faith. So here's what he says. Just because a Christian has been saved for 10 or 20 years does not guarantee that you are a spiritually mature Christian. Mature Christians are joyful Christians. Mature Christians are serving Christians. Mature Christians encourage others and build the body of Christ. So here's what he says at the outset. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't even make a designation that he's a half-brother. He's a servant of the Lord. It shows his humility. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the first thing he challenges them to do in the midst of their trials is to exhibit a joyful attitude. He uses the word count or consider. It is a financial term that means to evaluate. Paul used that same word uh, in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider or count loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider or count or I evaluate everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He says, I consider, I evaluate them to be rubbish. Paul says, all of that stuff is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He is telling us, James is telling us, that when you are going through a trial, you need to have a joyful attitude. Why? Because you need to understand that when you, are going, and, you and I are going through a trial, it is a clash of a theological belief and understanding with that trial. It's a clash of believing something about God versus believing something else with this trial. And so there's a clash of belief. We are going to have collisions with trials and theological belief. And so he's saying, are you going to believe what God says or are you going to believe what the devil tries to tell you through the trial? We need to believe what God says. This is what will give us spiritual maturity and development in our faith, if we're willing to do that, which will produce joy in our lives. It's joyful to grow. It's not always easy. It's painful. But the joy, because we become spiritually mature and spiritually fruitful as a result. So here's, here's something important. My attitude is affected by my expectations. You see, some people think when they give their life to Christ, everything's going to be a bed of roses, 
Everything's going to be cool. Everything's going to be smooth and easy. Wrong. Wrong. You need to have the expectation that you're going to face trials, that I'm going to face trials. So here's something important. What do I expect then from God when I face difficult situations? What do I expect from Him? Here's what some people would expect. Do I expect, let's just throw some out, instant deliverance. I'm going through this trial and God's just going to instantly and miraculously deliver me from that trial. If you expect that, you're wrong. Because sometimes He wants us to be under the weight and the pressure and the stress of that trial because that's what will produce spiritual maturity in us. The process is just as important, if not more important, than the end result of what he is trying to do in our lives. So instant deliverance, do I expect that? If you do, you have a false view of God. And see, again, it's that theological belief and understanding of who God is and what I expect him to do in the midst of my trial. Do I expect instant help? That God is just going to relieve the pressure, he's going to fix the situation, and that's why I can be joyful. No, he's wanting me to experience joy in the midst of that pressure and stress and hurt and pain because out of that, God, the grace of God flows. How about instant answers? I've been praying about this for two weeks. God may want you to pray about it for two years. <laughs> instant answers. It's that waiting on God. How about instant money for my financial needs? Do I expect God just to produce instant money. Just like I go through the ATM machine. God, here it is. You know, here's my prayer request. I put my card in and get the answer. Wonderful, the need is met. Um, God may be holding out and have a divine delay to teach us something about Him and something about us as well. How about instant healing from an illness? God, you said if I pray and ask anything in your name, you'll do it. Instant healing? Why not? Um, may not be God's plan. He wants to grow us through that illness. What about instant faith to trust God in a situation? Instant faith. That's not the way it works. God takes us through a process and develops us. He wants to develop our faith. Instant friendship for my loneliness? No. You have to go through the process of developing and learning how to become a friend for God to do that. And that's a process. Every one of these is a process that God takes us through to grow us, to spiritually mature us. Look at this quote, unknown source. In adversity or trials, we usually want God to do a removing job when he wants to do an improving job. To realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the storm. You see, the pressure is important. Here's why. If the pressure is so great on us that we feel we are about to break, that's where God wants us. Because He wants us to break to get to our knees, to get to be people of prayer to have the camel knees like James has, to go through trials to shape our faith. 
And so it's important. He doesn't want to do a removing job. He wants to do an improving job. And we need to remember that. That's what he's all about. Outlook determines outcome and attitude determines action. It is so true. So to have that joyful attitude is a supernatural response to trials because it is not natural to be joyful about it. Other than to know that God is at work in my life and he's teaching me theological truth. He's teaching me something about himself in that process. Let's look at some facts about trials. Number one, trials are inevitable. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, not if. When. In other words, they are going to come, and they will come unannounced and uninvited. They will knock on your door, ready or not, prepared or not. They are going to come in every color, shape, size, and difficulty. Trials will come to your door and my door, and they don't need an invitation. And we don't know when they're going to come. They can come unexpected. It is not saying, you know what, the trial warns you, I'm going to come, so prepare yourself. No. We need to prepare ourselves, though. The trials are going to come, because they will. You see, the little trials we can tend to overlook, but the big ones tend to stop us in our tracks. They're not optional. You don't get an exemption card. You're going to face trials. Here's what uh, Peter says about trials. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not a strange thing. He's saying expect it. It's going to happen. And you need to expect it. Paul uh, writes in Acts 14 that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So don't be blindsided by trials. Don't be lulled to sleep to the point that you think you are protected from trials. You know, anybody that lives in Florida should expect a hurricane, right? I mean, they, you, know, you should expect a hurricane. You're living on the coast, expect a hurricane. If you live in the Midwest, expect a tornado. I mean, there's a good chance you're going to face a tornado. If you live on earth, expect trials. They're going to come. You have to expect it. So where is the preparation uh, for that? That's what's important. I think it was our second winter here. We have a, a camper. And, you know, I was still, you know, moving here from Virginia, I was still used to mild winters, okay? Mild winters are a lot different in South Dakota. They're not so mild. And so winter comes pretty early in South Dakota. And our second winter here, I was not prepared and our camper was not winterized. Now, it wasn't the camper's fault. Campers don't winterize themselves. I haven't found any self-winterizing campers, but I'm looking. Okay, so if you hear of any. But the point is, I was ill-prepared for what was coming. And my lines began to freeze up. Because I had water in them. And I had water in the hot water tank. And I was like, this is not good. My wife agreed. She tried to warn me. 
And so I had to get a portable heater, plug it in, get a fan, and, and put that heat into those lines to try to fix it. And thankfully we got it fixed and we got antifreeze in there. And, but guess what? Preparation was vital. Because winter is coming. And James is telling us that trials are coming. Are you preparing yourself? What are you doing right now to prepare yourself for the next trial? How are you developing your relationship with God? How are you developing your faith in God and your theological understanding of God? Because the trial is coming. And are you ready for it? Am I ready for it? It's so vital that preparation... Because trials are inevitable. Secondly, trials will change us. You will not go through a trial and come out the other side the same exact person. You will either have a sweeter disposition or you will become bitter. You will be stronger or you will be weaker. Your faith in God will develop and you will grow a stronger faith in God or you'll begin to turn your back on God. You will not go through trials unchanged. I guarantee you. There are some people today who have turned their back on God because something came into their life that God wanted to use to develop them and Satan used it to destroy them. God wants to develop our faith. He is saying these trials are coming that when we face them, that he wants us to be successful in the trial. He wants us to come through at the other side more spiritually mature. But they will have an impact on our life. Trials will either draw us closer to Christ or push us further away depending on our response to trials. And he says there will be various kinds, sickness, disease, tragedies, disappointments. They're going to come. I mean, when you read in the second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was one of the most spiritually mature people on the face of the globe. Did God protect him from trials? I don't think so. Listen what it says. Paul said, I had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, near death five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was in the sea, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, <laughs> without food, hungry, thirsty, cold, the list goes on. Trial after trial after trial. Did Paul become bitter? No, he became better. He became spiritually mature because trials will change us. They absolutely will change us. How are trials changing you right now? Our values determine our evaluations. So when we count and when we look at that trial, we need to look at it from a different vantage point than other than just the hard time I'm going through and saying, God, what do you want to teach me through this trial? What is it you are trying to get me to learn about you so that I can magnify you more through my life with this trial? That's what God wants to do. Here's something else important about trials that really isn't in our text, but I want to throw this in because I think it's vital that we understand it 
And I think we can see it in other passages of Scripture, and that is this. Trials can also be self-induced, which means it's something that happens to you that you personally cause through your bad choices like I did with the camper. That was self-induced. There are things we can do. People self-destruct. They become their own worst victim. I think of Judas and the decision he made to become a traitor of Jesus. That was self-induced trial that he brought on himself because of his choices. So they can become self-induced. And we see people who make poor choice after poor choice after poor choice. And now they have all kinds of trials and problems because they did not make the right choice. And that's why later, and in succeeding weeks, we're going to talk about if we lack wisdom, we can ask God to help us with that. All right, so we need to understand the purpose of trials. Here's what he says, to know. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Understand the purpose of trials to know. And here's what he's saying, to understand them. Understand what, why God is, not necessarily why he's taking you through, but what he wants to accomplish in you uh, through it. Trials are designed then to help us grow in steadfastness. Isn't that what he says here? Knowing this, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, steadfastness, patience, some versions will say. It is an opportunity to learn to be more steadfast when I go through a trial. Trials are sovereignly orchestrated by God. He takes all the ingredients of that trial, whether it's people, a situation at work, a family member, whatever it is, he takes all those ingredients and he puts them together perfectly for me or for you. He tailor-makes the trial because he's trying to develop something in me or something in you that he wants to grow. And one of those things is to be steadfast to be immovable, to be someone who is reliable. Because when it talks about the testing of your faith, he's saying you want your faith to be reliable, valuable, esteemed, that it is durable and dependable. Faith, my walk with Christ, it also reveals to me what conditions and circumstances my faith will work and where it won't work. When I go through that, the steadfastness will enable us to be more like Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews 12 too, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, one of the things that gives us steadfastness in Christ is when I look beyond the temporary to the eternal. I'm not living just for time. I'm living for eternity. I'm setting my focus on the fact that I'm going to be with Jesus one day, and he wants me to be mature and complete in him. And that's what he's preparing all of us for is eternity. And because of that, I need to grow in steadfastness, in faithfulness to the Lord. We need to take upon ourselves the yoke of Christ. He says in Matthew 11:29, Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn 
from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now we know that a yoke is stable gear that puts together two draft animals so that they can move together and work together as a team. Here's what Jesus is saying. He wants the yoke to be on him and on me, that I am yoked with Christ. And think about this. This is an invitation from Jesus to say, you know what? I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to grow in me. I want you to be like me. And this is an invitation for you to be yoked with me. And when I am going through a trial and you are going through a trial, it's the opportunity to be yoked with Jesus Christ and learn from him through that trial, to be yoked with Jesus. What an invitation to be a disciple, to be a student, to be trained by Jesus. He says we can walk with him and talk with him. What, before before I get ahead of myself here, Trials, then, are designed to help us grow in steadfastness. Secondly, trials are designed to help us grow in our beliefs. Help us grow in our beliefs. You see, what you and I think about trials and how we respond to trials says more about what we believe about God almost more than anything else in my life. Let me say that again. What... I think about trials and how I respond to trials says more about what I believe about God than almost anything else in my life. Let's give me an example. Job had a financial test. He lost his sheep. He lost his camels. He lost his donkeys. He lost his servants. It was all stripped away and he was in financial ruin. He had a financial test, did he not? A huge one. But the test didn't stop there. He had another one. He had a health test. He was struck with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And he was in ill health. His wife said, curse God and die. He had another test. He had a tragedy test. A wind swept in and killed all of his sons and daughters at one time. That is bone-deep grief. I mean, think about that. Think about that loss. It's almost unimaginable that somebody could go through that kind of loss and that kind of test. And yet, it caused him to think about his relationship with God. And he said, "My my ear had heard about you But he says in the end of the book, but now my eye has seen you. It was the incredible faith that was developed in his spiritual maturity through that test. But here's what was really being tested. It wasn't his finances, and it wasn't his health, and it wasn't his tragedy. Those were the means. But here's here's what was really being tested. Think about it. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have these on the overhead. Let me just read them to you. Is God really sovereign over all my affairs? That's what was really being tested. Is God really in complete control over everything that happens in my life? That was the test for Job. 
Is God in control of everything that happens in my workplace? You say, well, I've got somebody that just irritates me to no end. Guess what? God knows that. He's given them that personality and you the personality, and it may be one of the biggest trials you face, and God wants to use that person to mature you in your faith, keep you on your knees. Maybe you have family members that you struggle with that are difficult to get along with. Guess what? God placed you in that family. Long before you were born, he knew you were going to be in that family to use that family to mature you. Is God really all-wise and all-knowing, even though he allowed disaster to strike? That's what Job was being tested with. Is God really all-powerful because he did not spare my family? That's what Job was being tested with. Is God really good even though he allowed this evil to happen? That's what he was being tested with. Does God really love me even though he's allowed me to go through this anguish in my life? That's what was being tested. Does God really care about my struggles? Does God really understand my disappointments and my hurt? You see, that's the test he was going through. Joseph had a morality test, remember? Potiphar is away. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and say, come and lay with me, have relations with me. It was a morality test, right? It was more than that. It was a test of his loyalty to God. It was a test of his understanding. Do you really believe that God is holy, Joseph? Do you really believe that marriage is sacred and intimacy is to be reserved for marriage and that is an unholy act outside of marriage and therefore it would be unholy in the eyes of God and therefore he would not do it? He passed the morality test because of his theological belief in God. And the reason many people fail the morality test is because they haven't come to the theological belief beyond here to hear that it's unholy. You see what I'm saying? And we could go on and on. I think about Abel. He passed a giving test. He believed that God was a generous God and everything came from his hand and he brought the best that he had to give God. I think about Noah. He passed the fear of God test because God was in essence asking Noah, are you willing to revere my name and my word and build an ark even though you don't see any rain? And he passed the fear of God test. It tells us in Hebrews 11 that in holy fear he built the ark. Abraham passed the obedience test. God tells Abraham to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance. And it says, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham's belief caused him to obey. Moses passed the courage test because he believed the presence of God would be with him when he faced the most powerful leader in the world. You see, some people stop short of their obedience to God because they say, no, that's too hard. I'm not going to go that far. God is moving me out of my comfort zone, but that's okay because if the presence of God is with you, he is going to give you the power to obey him even when it is the hardest thing you've ever done. Hard doesn't mean I don't obey. It means I obey by the grace of God and by the strength of God. 
I think about people that are going through the marriage test. Gary Thomas wrote Sacred Marriage, and here's what he says about marriage. What if God didn't design marriage to be easier? What if God had an end in mind that went beyond our happiness and our comfort and our desire to be infatuated and happy as if the world were a perfect place? He said, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? He said, God wants to use the challenges, joys, struggles, and celebrations of marriage to draw us closer to God and to grow us in our Christian character. And here's my third point. Trials are designed to grow our character. My strength and faith enables me to persevere. Notice he says in the text that the testing of our faith develops perseverance And then some translations will say, let patience or let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. To let God do something, I have to have a surrendered will. I have to surrender my will to God's will. A surrendered will to let God do it. God cannot build character without our cooperation. He doesn't force himself. He's working in our lives, and we have to give him access. He wants to make us mature Christians. One theologian said that Paul outlines three works that are involved in a complete Christian life. The first one is the work God does for us, which is salvation. God does that work for us. The second one is And Jesus, by the way, completed that work on the cross. The second work that God does is not for us, but in us. And that's sanctification. Where he builds our character and he makes us more like Jesus Christ. And the third work that God does is the work God does through us called service. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God builds character, though, before He calls us into service. God had to work on Abraham for 25 years before he gave him a son in Isaac. He had to work in Joseph for 13 years before he made him prime minister of Egypt. He had to work with Moses for 40 years, no, 80 years, for 40 years of service. One of the characteristics of children is immaturity, and it should be. They're learning to mature in their thinking. They're learning to grow, and one of the responsibilities of parents is to help children mature and become, to become an adult and to think like an adult as they get older. The sad part is, is to have believers who have been believers for years acting like children and thinking like children. And one of the things that God wants for Bethesda Church and every other church is for us to become spiritually mature in our faith. And the way he does that is through trials. 
They are absolutely essential to our spiritual development. Even the very word perseverance, steadfastness, the etymology of that word pictures a person under a heavy load to stay there instead of trying to escape and endure the trial and the pressure which the trial produces. And it breaks us from a self-sufficient attitude. Let me close with these three questions and then we're going to pray. Number one, do my difficult trials make me crumble or humble? Number two, do my difficult trials make me stew or true? And number three, do my difficult trials make me mean or serene? Let's stand for a word of prayer. And while you stand, I got one closing statement that encapsulates our message this morning. The measuring stick for spiritual maturity is the steadfastness of my faith in God's sovereignty through trials. If you want to measure your faith, in other words, see, trials gives us feedback on our faith. It's the report card, as it were. You get report cards in school. Trials are the report card. God's saying, here's, how, here's where you think you are in your faith. And then he brings a trial and he shows me where I really am in my faith. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I'll speak for myself, where I think I am and then the trial comes and where I really am is two different places. <laughs> and it it's, can be disheartening. But yet, God wants to grow us through that. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And while you do, let me ask you, where are you at in relationship to these trials? What are you going through right now in your life that is clashing with your theological understanding of God? Because that's what's going to happen. I know I've been through some trials, and I've shared some of those from the pulpit, that were an absolute clash of my theological beliefs in God. And I think it's absolutely vital. That's going to happen in our life. It will happen. But the question is, where are you coming out the other side? Are you going to trust the sovereign God of the universe who knows far more than you do? Or are you going to rely on your own strength and wisdom? And the question is, what wisdom are you relying on right now? Because if you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on your own with your trials. And by being on your own, it's hard to imagine that you can go through those trials and not end up a very bitter person. The reason we have so much anger in our culture today is because there's so much bitterness in our culture. Because people have been hurt, we go through trials, but we have never been e designed or equipped to go through the trial apart from God's help. And it keeps us on our knees. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He shed His blood that you could be yoked together with Christ and be His student, be His disciple, learn from Him. 
and grow in Him? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? That's the most important question. And then secondly, if you're a believer, how are you doing with the trials? Asking God to give you a joyful attitude in the trial and to grow from that pressure and that stress. If you have a special need in your life, I'll shake hands at the back door. Uh, if you need someone to pray with, I'll be glad to pray with you or another believer that can pray with you about a special need in your life. That's why we're here. We do want to bear one another's burdens. Let's pray together. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.